0: Pastor Xavier Reese with the simple truth about the name of Jesus. Woe to you, scribes and
1: Pharisees. They have been rejecting them over and over again. Now Jesus rejects them. What an awesome picture of those who constantly hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, who get constant opportunities to bow their knee to Christ, and they reject, they reject, they reject, they reject, till one day God says, I reject you.
0: Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, senior pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. It seems the biggest turnoff to non Christians is religion. It seems far too many churches put their emphasis on ceremony rather than a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Today, as Pastor Xavier continues his study in the book of Matthew, he takes us to the crux of true faith. Let's listen.
1: Matthew 23, I've entitled the message, Jesus, Meek and Mild. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is in His last week of ministry, only days from His crucifixion as we come to chapter 23. He has withstood the constant attack by the religious rulers to trap Him and to try to discredit Him before the people. One of those events was the questioning on divorce in chapter 19. Only one of many. And in this last attempt, they come with questions trying to ensnare him and trap him to discredit him again by asking him a question on taxes. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? You know the story. You and I would have gone on for an hour or two telling him why we should and why we shouldn't. He just says, You have a coin? Everybody just blew their minds. But not only that, they asked him about the resurrection. He exposed their failure to know the Scriptures and the power of God. Let me suggest to you, that is the major problem in the church today with Christians. They don't know the Scriptures nor the power of God. They know a lot of sermons. They've got a lot of outlines. They've memorized a lot of Scriptures but they don't know the Scriptures nor the power of God. Very dangerous position today in the church. They ask him about the greatest commandment. It always begins with God, God first. Then from there, everything goes out. He finishes a deceptive plot of these rulers by asking them a question about the Messiah in Psalm 110. Whose son do you think he is? He's the son of David. Now, how can he be son if he calls him Lord? They were baffled. They could not answer him. Jesus very clearly implying that he was more than just the son of David. He was the son of God. It is with this background, in this tense atmosphere, that Jesus now turns to denounce the religious leaders and reject the nation of Israel while he's in the temple precinct here in chapter 23. Don't lose his background. He's been in the temple precinct. This is last week. One thing after another. They want to discredit him. He has silenced them all. They have been rejecting him over and over and over again. Now Jesus rejects them. What an awesome picture of those who constantly hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, who get constant opportunities to bow their knee to Christ, and they reject, they reject, they reject, they reject, till one day God says, I reject you. You see, for me to reject God is no big thing, really. It's really not a great accomplishment in my life. But for God to reject me, woe is me. And that's exactly what he says here in chapter 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Jesus was the most patient man that ever lived. Jesus was the most compassionate. But there came a time when there was confrontation, even rejection, denouncing judgment to come. Strong words. In verses 1 through 12, Jesus teaches the multitudes and His disciples. This is the audience first. Then Jesus took the multitude to His disciples and to His disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Notice first in verses 1 and 2, the position of the scribes and the Pharisees. They sit in Moses' seat. This was the official chair of the law. The word is cathedral. It means the chair of, like you have a chair of an educational department, the chair of the Department of Philosophy, and someone resides in that chair as the lecturer, as the head of that department and system. They stood in the seat of Moses. Moses was given the law by God. Now they were sitting in the seat of Moses. This was their position. They were the authorities. But this is the chair that he's talking about. Notice also they had put themselves there as the interpreters of the law. Jesus has already rebuked them earlier for their traditions in the Sermon on the Mount. They begin to mess with God's Word. They begin to interpret. They begin to add. They begin to take away. And they begin to say, this is more important. It's heavy. And they stumble people. They mislead people. In the name of Christ. You want to know why people follow heretics? Read 2 Peter chapter 2. Chapter 1 of 2 Peter, you have your heritage. Chapter 2, you have the heretic. Chapter 3, you have the hope of Christ coming. Between your heritage and the hope of His coming, you've got a lot of heretics. Remember that. And they have great followings. The practice of the scribes and Pharisees in verse 3 and 4. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe... That observe and do, but do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on man's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. The practice of the Pharisees and scribes. Notice first, they taught the Word but didn't live it. Verse 3. Whenever someone teaches the Word of God, that's great. But if they're not living it, get away from them. It's only half a truth. If a pastor is preaching and teaching right on, great. But does he live it? If he doesn't live it, get away from him. Go find another church. Don't sit under him. James says, don't be like that man that goes to the mirror and looks upon himself and walks away and says, what the heck did I look like? He forgets. He loses the connection. Notice a burden men down with their traditions as spiritual taskmasters without ever aiding the people. They don't even move them with one finger. The picture here is of some merciless owner who loads up his camel or his donkey to the point to where they're collapsing and they don't even lift a finger to help them. They love to just lay heavy burdens on people and then look at them collapse and say, yeah, I knew they weren't spiritual, not like us. People, the church is full of people like this. I hope you're not one of them. Listen well to all these things we're going to look at this morning. Examine yourself. The pride of the scribes and Pharisees is found in verses 5 through 7. But all the works they do to be seen of men, they make their phylacteries broad and enlarge their borders and garments they loved the best places and feasts and the best seats of the synagogues. Greeting in the marketplace, they, to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. The pride of the scribes and the Pharisees. Verse 5, they loved to be seen as spiritual. Their phylacteries, their borders. The phylacteries, the borders, there was nothing wrong with them. According to the law, they had to do it in Exodus, Deuteronomy. The phylacteries would be those which little boxes they would have in their forehead, four little compartments for the different parchments of the law to go in. The other one on the arm would be wrapped around the left arm and they would be also written on strands in seven rows close to the heart. God wanted them to remember the word and to keep it close to their heart and occupy their mind. But they would go make big old boxes <laughs> so you could see how spiritual they are. men today love to parade themselves they want to show you how spiritual they are let me tell you if you're spiritual you won't even know it you'll think you're not and just when you think you're spiritual you just have found out you're not the border spoke of tassels at the end of their robes and their garments and the law again in, Deuteron- in Numbers 15, 38 says, Do this so when you see the tassels hanging, it will remind you to obey God's Word. Remember the woman with the issue of blood. If I can only touch the hem of his garment, the Word is the tassel hanging there. Nothing wrong with these things. But do you do it to be seen of men? People love attention. People get up and they just glance and they're worshiping God. and Everybody's sitting down. They're the only ones up. What are you saying? Look at me. I am so spiritual. Am I speaking against lifting your hands? Never. Am I speaking against you worshiping God the, the way you want to in, in openness of heart and generous of heart? No, I'm not saying that. But when we're in a public assembly, what is the purpose for Do you want attention to yourself? Hey, you want to worship God at home and lay on the ground? Fine, go for it, man. When you come to a prayer meeting, do you get on your knees and pray before the crowd of 50 or 100? And everybody goes, boy, he's spiritual. But you never do it at home? Now, that's your practice at home, and you come in with an open heart, and you do that. No problem. But why are you doing it? To be seen of men? Remember the Pharisee went in, God, thank you, you didn't make me like this publican, or a woman. The publican wouldn't even look up, and he just looked down the ground and, Beat himself on the breast. Lord, be propitious to me, a sinner. He says, This man prayed to himself. This man walked away justified. People, our churches are full of these things we're talking about this morning. Full. They love to be honored. Verse 6. The best seats, the best places. The best places speak of the first couches that reclined at meal. You reclined to eat, and they had the very first ones. They were first in line to stuff their faces. Everybody look at them. The best seat speaks of the chief seats and the platform facing the audience, the big Torah scrolls behind them. They love to be honored. There are some people that love honor. They love to be pointed out. They want to be up front. They're the center of conversation. They tell you how many books they've written, how many degrees they have, all the miracles God has done through them. And my world travels as I was over here and over here, and you're just, honor. They love to be recognized as scholars, verse 7. They love greetings in the marketplaces and public. Rabbi, rabbi, meaning my master, There were various forms and degrees of the word Ra, Rabi, Rabon. They introduced people say this is author, a lecturer, an evangelist, a movie star, a doctor. Let's have a good hand for him. What is he? He's a glorified waiter. That's what he is. If he's a servant of Christ. Forget the titles. Forget the titles. There's a lot of pride there. All my accomplishments. Do you know how easy it is to be puffed up as a pastor when God is doing a work? Do you know how dangerous it is? So dangerous. Verses 8 through 12 gives us the principle for the disciples now. But you do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, And you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on uh, on earth your father, for one is your father who is in heaven. And do not be called teacher, for one is your teacher, that is Christ. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself will be abased, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Here's the principles, don't miss them. First, don't desire titles. Verse 8. Very simple. Here's the application Don't desire titles. Don't put a premium upon them. The reference to call no one father, the Roman Catholic Church calls their priest father. I have a hard time doing that because it's the emphasis on the importance of a title. Certainly, I call my earthly father father. It doesn't mean not to call your father father, but it's the title of of one who you owe everything to and dependent upon. That's what he's talking about. Secondly, don't deify anybody on earth. Verse 9. One is your Father. Don't deify anybody on earth. We get our eyes on man. We think they're infallible. They're not incarnations of God. They're mere men. All men have feet of clay. And women. Third, don't let any man... Take the place of Christ as your guide. Verse 10. The word teacher there is only found two times in the New Testament. It is right here. It means to go before to guide. Are you dependent upon me for your guide? To take the place of Jesus? I hope not. Look to me as a pastor teacher. And learn. And check me out. But do not put me in the place of Christ to guide you. You have the Spirit of God. You have the Word of God. He is able to guide you if you're born again. I'm just an under-shepherd. He's a chief shepherd. He's the good shepherd. Fourth, do serve one another in humility, verses 10 and 11. The word servant is a waiter on table, deacon. We get our word from it. Humble yourself, and God will exalt you in due time, First Peter 5, 5. Exalt yourself, He will abase you. God has no problem in humbling you. I guarantee you. And in time, He will do it. Now, Jesus moves on to denounce the scribes and the Pharisees, verses 13 through 36. The word woe means interjection of grief and denunciation. It is a proclamation of coming judgment. When Jesus ever said, woe, that means that's it. Judgment is coming. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, BeSeda! They had crossed that line, and that was it. There are eight woes in the King James and the New King James. If you've got the RSV, they only have seven. They omit verse 14. I accept it. Seven times Jesus calls them hypocrites with the exception of verse 16. He calls them fools, blind, two times, verses 17 and 19. He calls them blind guides, verse 24 ones. He calls them serpents, brood of vipers, verse 33. Now you know why I call it Jesus meek and mild? Who is saying this? The man that would not touch a smoking flax or break it. In Matthew 12, but see, they had crossed that line. Let's look at the first one. Verse 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, actors, that's what the word means. For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. And so here you have, in verse 13, the sin of hindering people from coming into the kingdom of God. They had the keys of knowledge, Luke eleven fifty two, 52, but they had hidden those keys of knowledge. They were hindering people. Are you hindering people from coming to Christ or are you helping them come into the kingdom of God? Are you making it so difficult and are you priding yourself in that because you don't want grace over their life? It's heavy. I mean, we love to see people squirm. We love to receive grace, but God forbid that we should give it out to anybody else. This was their first sin. Woe to you verse 14 the second one woe to you scribes and pharisees hypocrites for you do devour widows houses and for the pretense to make long prayers therefore you will receive greater condemnation or damnation here you have the sin of robbing the widows pretending to care by praying for them ripping them off woe to tvn who lay those heavy emotional trips to pressure people to send in their Social Security checks. Woe to these people who beg and pressure people. Woe to them. God hates people who rob people for money, for the work of God, in pretense. You look up the Scriptures, go from Genesis to Revelation. You watch God get ticked off, you watch when people are ripping people off for money. In the name of God, it's a terrible sin. He says the damnation is great, greater. A widow is alone. A widow is grieving. A widow is, is left to herself. A widow is limited on money. And here, they abuse them. Verse 15, the third woe, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and you have won him, and make him twice as much a son of hell as yourself. The word hell there is Gehenna. Here you have the sin of making disciples after themselves. They were such hypocrites that by the time they made a proselyte, one who had come all the way over, the word proselyte means one who has approached or drawn near. He had learned so fast from their hypocrisy, he had a good head start. He would end up twice worse than they who had discipled him. That's why it's critical when the Bible speaks about the sins of the parents will be passed down to the children to the third, fourth, fifth generation. That's not a promise that God's going to do that in judgment. That is the declaration that if you do not cut sin in your life as a parent, you will send it to your kids. How? By example and by teaching. And they will have a greater start than you. And then they will pass their children and it will just keep degenerating each generation. There has to be a break in sin. There has to be a turning. If it doesn't start with you and me, it will keep going through our children. You turn and your children walk away from God, then you've done what you need to do. You pray for them, but you don't have to follow them. There has to be a break. And so the sin of making disciples after themselves. There were God-fearing Jews who proselyted into the faith from the Gentiles, but... These God-fears didn't go all the way. They weren't circumcised. But then there were those proselytes of, the, uh, of righteousness which went all the way. They were circumcised. All these heavy burdens that they placed on men, the traditions. You go to some churches, you've got to do certain things. You've got to be baptized in their church. You've got to do this. I mean, they go, they lay all these legalistic trips. And some churches, you know, they'll tell women, you can't wear pants. You can't wear makeup. Well, where does it say that? Nowhere. You can wear jewelry, you can wear makeup. Just make sure you're not weighed down with gold to where that's all you can see and make sure you don't look like the circus in town and it's okay. <laughs> and as far as pants, make sure you're not doing it to impersonate a man. That's the context of the law. We get all these things and we put people in a big old bondage. Why? Because I want them to think I'm spiritual. Careful. Fourth woe, verse 16, woe to you, blind guides, who say, Whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing, but whoever swears by the goal of the temple, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind. For which is greater, the goal or the temple that sanctifies the goal? And from here, verse 16. All the way down to verse 22 He speaks about these vows They're putting an emphasis on, on the altar Or the gold or the temple And they're trying to split hairs Twice he calls them fools and blind The Bible tells us that we are to make no vows Let your yea be yea, your nay be nay Don't say I swear on a stack of Bibles I swear on my mother's grave You don't have to say it Usually people that want to swear People are liars They're not going to tell you the truth anyway Be a man, a woman of your word. And so I'm not going to read it all, but don't split hairs. Say, yes, I'll be there, or no, I won't be there. That's what he's talking about. Don't put an emphasis on the locality as if it's holy or, or more spiritual and it's binding. He says, hey, just let your word be yes or no.
0: Pastor Xavier Reese with the simple truth about integrity. And you can request a copy of today's challenging study titled Jesus Meek and Mild. It's available on CD for just $4. And this is one message you'll want to share with your brothers and sisters in the Lord. Now the title to ask for once again is Jesus Meek and Mild. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107 Or to make your request by phone call 800-926-1485 Again that's 800-926-1485 Or the address once again is Simple Truths 2200 East Colorado Boulevard Pasadena California 91107 And it's important that you include the call letters of this station when you contact us Well, God loves us, but He will not force us to follow Him. Find out more when you join Pastor Xavier Reese on the next edition of Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com